Welcome to the Unremarkable Brain Podcast, a fat-fueled adventure into the world of epilepsy, the ketogenic diet, and much, much more. My name is Big Dave, and I'll be your captain on this little cruise. I'm not a doctor, researcher, or health guru. I'm just a fellow traveler on this journey of learning. A few years ago, I stumbled on a low-carb way of eating, and at the time, I thought it was nothing more than a weight loss gimmick. But I opened my ears, started to listen, and I discovered that cutting out carbs and embracing healthy fats is a well-researched way not only to lose weight, but also to manage my epilepsy and increase my brain health, a journey that I've chronicled in my recent book, My Unremarkable Brain, available now wherever books are sold. Now, several years in, I'm still listening, learning, and thriving with a low-carb diet, plus exercise, sleep, stress, purposeful living, and many other lifestyle changes. This podcast is a chance to share that learning and hopefully inspire you to thrive in your own life, whatever your situation may be. Please note that although we talk a lot about health, nothing that you hear here constitutes medical advice. Always talk to your doctor, nurse, coach, shaman, or other healthcare professional before undertaking any diet, exercise, or lifestyle changes. Now, on with the show. Hey guys, this week in my blog I share some more takeaways from Low Carb USA, specifically from an incredible presentation by Amy Berger. Uh, You can find that article on my website, unremarkablebrain.com. About a year ago, Amy was kind enough to sit down with me for a live YouTube event, and it was just an incredible conversation, so I thought I'd reissue it here in podcast form for anybody who may have missed it. Amy Berger is a certified nutrition specialist with a master's in human nutrition. She's the author of three books, The Alzheimer's Antidote, uh, The Stall Slayer, Seven Roadblocks to Keto Fat Loss and What to Do About Them, and most recently, End Your Carb Confusion, which she co-wrote with Dr. Eric Westman, who is the director of the Keto Medicine Clinic at Duke University. She herself has been eating a low-carb diet and learning about this way of eating for over 15 years. Her specific areas of interest include low-carb and ketogenic diets as nutritional therapies for diabetes, both type 2 and type 1, obesity, PCOS, migraines, acid reflux, cardiovascular disease, and neurological and neurodegenerative disorders such as Parkinson's, uh, Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, and epilepsy. Amy calls her approach keto without the crazy, which I love. Uh, You know, in a diet culture that's full of would-be gurus and charlatans, she manages to be really insightful uh, and science-based while staying refreshingly grounded and down-to-earth. Check out her website at tuitnutrition, that's T-U-I-T, nutrition.com, which is just chock-full of resources and information. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amy. So, Amy, thanks thanks again for making the time tonight. Um, uh, why don't we go right back to the beginning? And I always love uh, to get sort of origin stories and and see where people are coming from. Um, what's your what's your, give us a little bit of your background? How did you get into all of this? Yeah. Um, in in case anyone doesn't know, um, I where should I start? Um, I, I was not born a low carb. You know nutritionist like I, I had to learn about this like everyone else did and um, I'm a career changer this is you know being a low-carb nutritionist and writer is not my first job um, I I was heavier when I was a kid my parents owned an ice cream store I was literally a kid in a candy store and it showed um, and also my favorite activity as a child and still to this day is sitting in a comfy chair with a book 
So, you know, combine those two things and you've basically got a recipe for a chubby little child. And the thing is though, as I got older, I became, you know, more concerned with my appearance. Show me a woman who was born in the, you know, I was born in the late seventies, like show me someone that came of age in that time who didn't become obsessed with that. And so, you know, I, I started eating better. I started eating what I thought was a healthier, good diet. And I started exercising a lot and nothing happened Mm. no matter what I did, no matter how hard I worked. Mm -hmm. And, um, I spent many, many years beating myself up and feeling like a failure and thinking what's wrong with me. Well, if two hours on the treadmill isn't enough, maybe I need to do three, you know, Mm. madness. And, um, my entry into all of this was actually the Atkins diet. And Mm. my mother bought a used copy of Dr. Atkins new diet revolution at a yard sale back. I mean, this is, we're talking many, many years ago, long before Mm -hmm. the new explosion of keto. This is like late nineties. Um, and, um, my mother never read it, but I did. And it made sense. It just made sense to me. And so I did it and, oh, it worked. What a shock. The thing is though, I was, I was in college at the time and I wasn't ready to make it my, my lifestyle. I wasn't ready to do it for the long term. So if there's anyone out there watching who you're trying keto and then you fall off and you're trying and you fall off, that's okay. It didn't stick with me the first time either. Like it took a while, but long story short, um, I was so fascinated by this way of eating, you know, I'm doing everything that I'm not supposed to, I'm, I'm, I'm eating red meat and I'm eating bacon and I'm eating cheese and I'm losing weight. Um, and I'm not obsessed with food all day. I'm not, I'm not having breakfast thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch. Like how, how is this working? What is this craziness? And so after being in and out of a lot of jobs that I did not like and didn't find fulfillment in, I realized, hey, wait, like nutrition is a career. I could do that and I could help other people learn about this cool low carb diet. So I did, I went back to school and I got, you know, more formal education in nutrition. And now this is what I do, but I, I, I came into it from weight loss. So I was overweight. I do have a family history of type two diabetes, obesity, cancer, and stroke. So Mm -hmm. we, we have the deck stacked in the family. Yeah. over the years, and I, I've said this in, in other places, like my personal entry was from the weight loss point of view, but over all these years, everything that I've learned about the biochemistry of how this works and what it does, it's like weight loss has become almost the least impressive, least important thing that this way of eating, you can literally reverse type two diabetes, reverse PCOS, reverse non-alcoholic fatty liver, and you might by the way, drop a few pounds in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Nice side effect, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And I just, I just want to like real quick, I just want to emphasize that I did start with the Atkins diet because for some reason, the modern day, the last few years, Atkins is like a, a dirty word in the keto world. And I yeah. just want everyone to understand that anyone that's having any degree of success with a, any form of carbohydrate restriction right now, you're basically doing the Atkins diet wrapped up in a shiny new bow. And we all owe him a huge debt of gratitude. I've since learning all the stuff that I know now I've reread the books and I'm blown away by how far ahead of his time he was. He was writing about things that like, we're all talking about it now as if it's like, we've just discovered all this brand new stuff. Meanwhile, almost 50 years ago, he was on it. 
Right. So I just I just got to stand up for for Dr. Atkins is all. No, absolutely, absolutely, and I remember that first that first wave of Atkins. Um, you know, maybe it was the second wave, really, in the '90s, because I think he wrote he was writing in the '70s. Actually, 70s, right? yeah, yeah. Um, so so I remember when that came about, and and you know this crazy way of eating, and people are doing this crash diet called called Atkins, you know, and then, um, and you know, to dovetail on what something you said, you you talked about all the. The other benefits other than weight loss, um, I, I know you don't have a copy of my book yet. I'll send you one right after this. But um, my book is about uh, how I discovered the low carb diet um, in this most recent wave, you know, uh, uh, learning about it and kind of being fascinated by it and just interested in, in how it works in the science. Um, oh, and by the way, it's also used to treat epilepsy and um, which which I have. And so, you know. Then, you know, going down that rabbit hole. So part one of my book is is fat on the body. And then the second part is fat on the brain. Um, and so, you know, it's just it, it's fascinating how how powerful this is, you know, not just as a fad. You know, I, I call it in my book, the 100 year old fad diet. You know, um, as a matter of fact, it was 100 years ago, I think next month that the first New York Times article appeared about this idea of use of managing seizures through diet. And it was a, um, a doctor of osteopathy who, who presented a conference on this. Um, so that was 1921. And, um, so I could do a little bit of the history of the ketogenic diet and, um, specifically as, as relates to epilepsy, but, um, yeah, you're right. Atkins was, and, and, you know, Atkins was a huge forward thinker in that, you know, and, and realizing that it could help. And he was, he was dealing with cardiology issues, you know, it, it, it wasn't a f quick fist weight loss thing for him either, right? Um, he's trying to help. I yeah, I think I think it was it was everything, but it's he. It was as controversial as it is now. It was even worse during his time, telling mm. people that no, it's it's okay to eat butter and it's okay to eat red meat and saturated fat isn't clogging your arteries and all right, that. Right. Right. Right, and and actually, the diet that that I'm on now is um, through the, the the Johns Hopkins Clinic for Adult um, Epilepsy. Is mm -hmm. they use the modified Atkins diet? That's what they call it. So well, you work you work with Eric Kosoff then, huh? Or yes, his colleague uh, Mackenzie Cervenka. Um, yeah. She runs the the adult okay. center. He runs the children's center. Um, but yeah, he's he's great, and I interviewed him for my book as well. And um, I um just a little anecdote here. Two two years ago, I think we were at a conference together, and I guess he had a, a new book out, a relatively new, and so we were both signing books, and they had us at the same table. And I had never met him before, but I've been reading his research for ten years. I mean, I've yeah. read all those papers, and I was like, oh my god, you're Eric Kosoff. Like, it was so like he's a big I, star. I'm right? starstruck at these events. Like, oh my god, yeah. there's Finney. Oh, like. <laughs> me too, me too. Well, now you know how I feel right now. See, <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, no. So, so really interesting stuff. So, picking up on that, let's let's do a little bit of the basics because some of the folks I started this series as kind of a a thank you to the people who pre-ordered my book and um, you know give them a little bit of bonus content, bring on some of the folks who are who are you know real luminaries in the space. Um, and it's grown from that. So, so we have people who are longtime low carbers here, I'm sure, but we have some people who, um, may be low carb curious who, don't, you know, who, who aren't quite sure what it's all about yet. 
Um, so can you give us a little bit of that, you know, the, the keto, low carb, whatever we want to call it, the how and the why and the what, if you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually fun for me to talk about it from this angle because my, most of the people who come to me for help with private consultations have already been doing low carb or keto for a while and they're just not getting the results they want and we have to troubleshoot. It's yeah. pretty rare that I get someone who's brand new, but I love to get someone who's brand new because like you said, oh, they're, they're low carb curious, they're kind of dipping their toes in the water. And I have a feeling that they're kind of like looking at it from the periphery because they're so put off by the overwhelming stuff that they see about it. There's 86 yeah. million YouTube channels. There's a million different blogs and Reddit forums and all this Instagram accounts. And it, if you don't know what this is all about and how it works, you might think that you have to spend like a thousand dollars before you even start the diet. You have to get right. your ketone meter and this and buy your MCT oil and the special coffee. Like, no. I, I've, I've always said, I feel fortunate that I started low carb when I did, you know, almost 20 years ago, Facebook did not exist. Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, they didn't even exist when I got started. And so there was a lot less information available, but there was less misinformation and less craziness. There was yeah. the food list and you just follow the list and you're good to go. Right. And so really, if, if anyone out there is new or just kind of is feeling overwhelmed by all the um, conflicting recommendations, the single most important thing to do is just cut way, way back on all of the sugar and starch that you eat, all the carbs, even the things that you think of as healthy carbs, like potatoes and beans and sweet potatoes and, you know, rice and all that, all that's whole grain, all that stuff's got to go. And what that does is instead of your body running primarily on the carbohydrate fuel, when there's like only this much carbohydrate coming in, your body says, oh, there's like no carbs coming in. I better find some other fuel. I'm not just going to die and fall apart. I got to switch my fuel. Right. It switches over to using fat. And the right. ketones are produced as a byproduct of running on the fat. And, um, Keto, keto is not automatically a fat loss diet. It's a fat burning diet. When you get mm. rid of the carbs, your body runs on fat. But if you want to lose body fat, you can't overdo the butter and the oil and the cream and the cheese because then your body doesn't have a need to use its own stored fat for fuel. Right. But that, that's too deep in the weeds. The point is that when your body makes that shift, from burning mostly carbs to burning mostly fat, a ton of good things happen all over. There is not one organ or gland or tissue that is not affected beneficially in some way, I think. Mm. Um, and this is why people use keto for, you know, epilepsy, migraines, um, high blood pressure, type two diabetes, fat loss, PCOS, skin tags, and other kinds of skin conditions. Uh, fibromyalgia, endometriosis, all of these things get so much better or go away completely. It's, you know, my, my co-author on the book, End Your Car Confusion, Eric Westman says, it's so unbelievable, you won't believe it. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. That's well put. Um, the quote that uh, um, 
that I love is uh, Dr. Zhang Ro, who was um, a researcher at UCLA and um, also ketogenic diets and brain health. And then, and he started his talk with um, people think of the ketogenic diet as a magic bullet. It's not a magic bullet. It's a magic shotgun shell because it affects so many different pathways in the body, so many different organs in the body. There's inflammation, there's fuel, you know, um, energy metabolism, all these different things that, that, um, that are involved. And, and, you know, um, when I interviewed I, I, him, I, I love Dr. Rowe, by the way, I've cited his work a ton in my talks. Yeah. 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 One, of, one of my go-to people for keto for anything neurological. Yeah. So smart. So, you know, just brilliant. And, um, and he was really generous to sit down with me for, you know, like between running to conferences all over the world, um, he sat down with me for just a couple of minutes and, um, and it was interesting because he talked about, um, the, the ketogenic diet, if you take it seriously, makes you rethink, um, it will make people, uh, drug makers rethink the way that they think about drugs because with drug makers, it's all about find that one druggable target, that one little receptor, that one little thing. And, you know, this uh, defies that because again, that, that sort of shotgun approach, it, it, it hits so many different things. Yeah. Um, and he thinks that that might be the future of, of drug research. And he has, um, you, you probably, he has a paper called the ketogenic diet and a pill. Is this possible? And the answer, of course, is no. And I, I use that in one of my talks. I have a slide that has 16 different mechanisms by which keto might help neurological and neurodegenerative issues. And those are only the ones we know about so far. And right. so it's like there is not one single pill or surgery or procedure that can do all of it. You take a pill, maybe it can hit one or two of those targets, three at the most, all 16. No, but the diet does. It's, yeah. it's, it's really incredible. And, and I, I know we sound like snake oil people, like <laughs> someone has, have you tried keto? Oh, you have Ehlers-Danlos. Have you tried keto? But it's, right. it's, it's working for people. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that's that's so true and and you know i i always because i'm on the epilepsy groups online and i try to i have to you know hold myself back from say from being that that one trick pony and trying to you know push it on everybody else but if somebody asks about it i'll certainly talk about it right. um but uh yeah it is it is funny um the other thing that i that i like that i really love that you do and and the video that you posted just today as a matter of fact is a great example of that um um, it's sort of keeping it real and, and bringing it into the real life side of things. You know, we're not, we know that it works for all these different things. We know we have these clinical studies in labs, but we're not in labs, right? We're in real life. Um, what do you think, uh, what do you see in, in yourself, your clients, people you talk to, um, where are the big stumbling blocks, I guess, for people who are trying to get onto and make, maintain the low carb diet? Um, for the people who can stick to it and that the, the issue of sticking to it is a whole thing in itself but for the people that can actually adhere to it the two biggest stumbling blocks we see are um too many carbs some so, so not everybody needs a super strict ketogenic diet some people can reap the benefits just kind of cutting back you know when i was in the military i knew guys now granted we're talking about like 20 year old guys 
who all they had to do was stop drinking soda and they could lose 15 pounds. Like they didn't need a ketogenic diet. They didn't need all this stuff. They just had to not drink liquid sugar and they could just fat would melt off them. Um, for, for some of the rest of us, we have to go a little further. And there are some people who they just have to get the carbs ultra, ultra low before they really hit the magic. Um, yeah. some, of, some of the really powerful effects won't happen unless you're really triggering that metabolic shift. Yeah. Um, and then the other big thing we see, particularly when someone's main goal is losing weight, is just too much fat. Like I was mm. saying before, keto all all keto means is that you are being fueled primarily on fat now whether that's your stored body fat or the fat from all your food that's what determines whether or not you're going to lose body fat and so i one of the big the big stumbling blocks for people that are having trouble losing weight is they're just overdoing the fat and and you can't blame them because all they hear online is keto is a high fat diet and you have to eat the certain percentage and keto you know for the people that are new keto does not work through magical macros or ratios it works by keeping your carbs really really low right right i love how you say that in your book you know we, t we call it low carb high fat lchf but Really, let's just stick to those first two letters, the low carb. You know, if you're trying to lose weight, that's that's yeah. where the magic is. No, I will say though, for epilepsy, you might know there are some people who need the three to one diet or the four to one. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty austere, but there are some people who need that. So it's like it it always depends on the situation. And that's why I it drives me crazy when somebody posts a question online and you've got eight hundred armchair internet warriors chiming right. in. Right. When you haven't even asked this person any detailed questions about the situation. Like, uh, why isn't keto working? Well, working how? What are you even trying to do? Are you trying right. to lose weight? Do you have diabetes? Like, I mean, we, it's nice when people want to jump in and help, but how are you offering information when you have no clue what's actually going on? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, I think, because, you know, being as countercultural as it is to, to cut out carbohydrates. I mean, and I say that meaning, you know, it's impossible if you're in a city, it's impossible to go to a block without being assaulted by carbs on all sides. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much any, anywhere you look. Um, so, so to cut them out, you've really got to be, you know, strict. Um, and the support that's given by an online community, whether you're it's a, you're in a Facebook group or whether you're on Twitter and, and interacting with you know folks like yourself or, or the experts out there or the other you know people who are are discovering this for themselves and trying it for themselves um, you know and so there is there's a benefit to that you know it's almost like a, a you know a help group or, or whatever you want to call it right um, but you're right there is the, the flip side of that which is um, there's a lot of people out there saying a lot of things and they may or may not know what they're talking about. Um, what are your, what are your tips for the people who are sort of starting out where, I mean, your book obviously is what I would recommend, but um, what are, what are some of the, the go-to resources? Um, what are some of your favorite things that you see online? Um, either it be diet doctor or, or any of those sorts of places. Yeah. Um, let me answer. I want to explain. There's a, 
the sun is coming in. So if I look very weird right now, that's oh, okay. no, you're good. my life. This is live. This is real life people. This so um, it's just, I'm like, that looks really weird. But anyway, um, yeah, I think, I mean, my, my YouTube channel, I try to keep it, keep it simple there and definitely keto without the crazy. Like if you don't want the overwhelm and the nuttiness, and I think our book, um, and it's called end your carb confusion. That is kind of, so, so Eric Westman and I wrote the book that we would want if we were brand new to this. If I didn't know anything about this, how would I want someone to explain it to me? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. And other than that, I think I think Diet Doctor is excellent. And I have like personal friends that work for them, but it can be very overwhelming. The mm-hmm. Diet Doctor read because they have so much content and they've created so much. It's like, so yeah. sometimes I will, I if I send people links to Diet Doctor, I do link to a specific page, a specific, you know, topic or a specific guide that they have. I, one thing that I absolutely love that is partly keto, partly not is Mark's daily apple, you know, Mark Sisson. Yes. Yep. He is one of my absolute favorites because he's not really dogmatic and he is, he's, he's kind of like me in that he clearly understands and acknowledges the therapeutic power of a strict Mm -hmm. ketogenic diet or a strict paleo diet, but there is going to be a little bit of wiggle room for that glass of red wine or that piece of chocolate cake now and then, you know, you, you don't want to get so austere that you actually forget to just have a nice life and enjoy yourself. Um, And I really, I really like that about him. And I like that he, his website and his blog, I, I don't know how much of it he himself writes anymore these days, but his his website in general covers so much of the food, so many good recipes, but he also focuses a lot on the mindset stuff, the lifestyle stuff, and, and not just exercise, but like self-actualization, you know, um, fulfillment in your work or in, it's just, it's a, I feel like it's a very nice, well-rounded kind of place there. Yeah. Other than that, I will say, um, Rob Wolf too, I would say the same thing about, I I really like Rob Wolf. Um, he's got his own kind of membership group these days, but same thing, very aware of the therapeutic power while also balancing it with just going out and having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that isn't, that is important. You know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day about, um, who was, uh, you know, interested in this idea of um, intuitive eating and and was telling me about that. And I was like, oh, that, you know, that's a really interesting idea. Um, and and a lot of times I, I call them diet wars. You know, we've got the, the vegans versus the carnivores. We've got the keto versus the this versus the that, you know. Um, but uh, I think and I think every one of these different things has has something to it, you know, something that we can take away from it, you know. Um, but, um, I guess to frame that in the form of a question, you know, this idea of this, the psychological, to me, my understanding, I, I haven't looked into it deeply, but the, my understanding of the intuitive side is that it is acknowledging that we're real people living in the real world and trying to live a life. Um, and, and so it's more on the psychology side than on the, let's say the biology side that, that most of the keto stuff is, um. But I like the way that you do incorporate in um, 
in your books and in your blog, you know, some of the, the, the ideas of living life and, and trying to, um, you know, trying to stick to a diet in the real world. Right. Um, as far as when I, you know, going back to the struggles that people face, you know, where, where do, um, you know, can we talk a little bit about trigger foods and things like that, um, that you think people get in places where people get into trouble? Oh, sure. Yeah, it's a huge topic. And I think um, just to talk about the I in, intuitive eating, like we could have a three hour video about that sometime. That's a huge thing. But just with with regard to like people getting started and tripping up, even because I feel like intuitive eating is a backlash and a rebellion against some of what we see in keto, like, right. You, you've got experts literally saying supermarket chicken is killing you. Your, yeah. your, your store-bought ranch dressing is poison. I mean, that's literally like, so the intuitive eating is like, oh my God. Like, like so when you live in that headspace for a couple of years where you have to weigh and measure everything and you can't, you can't go to that restaurant because they might use canola oil and what if the chicken, right. da, da, da. and so I, there's, there's a huge place for, giving up and for just, I'm going to eat whatever I want. Like it's, yeah. I get it, but that's, that's kind of a separate topic, but I feel like that's, that's a stumbling block for people that are new to this. And it's something we really make a big point of in and your carb confusion. If you have the budget to afford all organic or to shop at your local farm stand, do it. Like, that's great. If you can't, the metabolic effect, that shift that happens that makes all those good health things cascade come from lower blood sugar and lower insulin and, and having a fat-based metabolism. It doesn't come because your food is organic or because the beef is grass-fed or because there's no soybean oil. Like right. period, the, the research shows this very clearly that none of that is really an issue because none of that has been part of any of the protocols in these trials that, that have showed how effective this diet is. There was no prohibition on soybean oil or whatever. So, you know, don't, don't let that minutia trip you up. The, the biggest bang for your buck is gonna come from just ditching the carbs. Yeah. So yeah, other than that, whew, the stumbling blocks, that's, that's part of it though. That's part of it because when you think that you can't, you can't have X, Y, Z, you know, it, it, it's a mindset that you get so hung up on the purity and the, um, I, I think some people, everybody's different. So like there, there's really no hard and fast rules. It's really about what works for you. Mm -hmm. I, I tell people, you know, don't trade a sugar addiction for a Splenda addiction. If you're the type of person that's going to eat the whole tray of cookies, don't eat the whole tray of almond flour cookies. Right. You know, don't don't become addicted to ketofied versions of the things that made you sick and unwell in the first place. Yeah. That's, you know, I think that something and I, I think it's okay as a transition step. Like if you thinking, oh, I can I can have a cookie as long as it's coconut flour. If that gets you to move in the right direction, do it. But that might kind of hold you up over the long term. Right. Um, but other, I mean, specific trigger foods, nuts, cheese, just these mm. things that are so they're so delicious and they're so most of us just don't have an off switch. 
you know, I yeah. joke, but it's not really a joke. You get that bag of almonds from Trader Joe's and you're on the couch. We call it hand to mouth syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> because before you know it, half the bag is gone and you, you don't even know what happened to it. Right. Um, yeah. So there's things like that that are technically fine for a low carb diet, but they'll just kind of get in the way of progress if you can't control yourself. Right. Right. Now that's, yeah, that's a great point. That's, I've definitely been there. Macadamia nuts, you know, supposedly, you know, low carb, high fat, great. And then all of a sudden, like Costco size bag, I'm like, what, what, what happened there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not, not a good thing. Folks. Um, if you're just joining us, by the way, um, this is Amy Berger. And, um, if you have questions for her, please do, uh, ask them in the chat here. We've got it up. Uh, we see seeing hellos from, uh, Wendy Moore from John Saunders. Um, Hey John, and, um, please, um, do, uh, do shoot us some questions. Um, this, uh, lots of great stuff to talk about. Um, in the meantime, uh, I'd love to jump back to your first book, the Alzheimer's antidote. Um, and you know, again, the connection between, between diet and brain health, um, so important. Um, Give us, uh, so, so I've even heard uh, recently the idea that uh, Alzheimer's uh, being called type three diabetes. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with that term. Can you, can you kind of tell us about, you know, the, the connection between sugar, blood sugar and, and Alzheimer's or dementia? Yeah. So that's, it's, it's basically <clears throat> the whole premise of my book. I mean, why, why would a low carb oriented nutritionist like have anything to say about Alzheimer's disease? Um, it was actually my thesis in graduate school. This book, the, right? the kernel of that book was my thesis. And um, when I graduated, I was thinking this, this is potentially life saving, life changing information. I, I can't keep this to myself. Like the world needs to know about this. So I, I have to write a book. And I, I turned it, you know, I expanded it into a book that I just sold on my website. And I was fortunate enough that a publisher found it and basically mm. offered me a book deal, which like never happens. So that's um, how the book came to be. But yeah, I, um, they, they sometimes refer to Alzheimer's disease as type three diabetes. You'll also hear the phrase brain insulin resistance mm -hmm. and um, type two diabetes. And even if you don't have diabetes, if your blood sugar is normal, but you have chronically high insulin, which is a mm -hmm. huge problem all by itself, both of those are major, major risk factors for Alzheimer's. Regardless mm. of your family history, regardless of your genotype, everybody's obsessed with this APOE4 gene. Right. That's the number one, like the strongest genetic risk factor, but millions upon millions of people who do not carry even one copy of E4, let alone two, they get Alzheimer's disease. So, mm. and, and millions of people that have that E4 gene don't get Alzheimer's. So that gene mm. doesn't cause Alzheimer's. It, it does increase your susceptibility, but the, the chronically high insulin or blood sugar by itself, independent of any of those other issues, massively raises your risk for Alzheimer's. And, and the reason it's uh, associated with all this glucose and insulin stuff, and the reason they call it the type three diabetes is because, you know, under like quote unquote, normal circumstances, glucose is the primary fuel for the brain. 
But the major problem in the brain of somebody with Alzheimer's is that the brain is not taking up and using glucose properly. It's um, so it's, I like to think of it as a fuel shortage. It's like an energy crisis in the brain. Mm. And so if the brain isn't getting enough fuel, of course you have memory loss. Of course you have confusion and personality changes. Your brain is starving. Um, so that's, that's where the, uh, the, the glucose connection comes. And um, I don't know how far you want me to get with that. I can stop there for now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, so the energy metabolism is, is, um, you know, a huge, um, huge part of that sounds like, and, um, um, the, the, I guess the chronic, chronic nature of it over time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not something that happens overnight. This is like, so I, I thank you for saying that because it's, you know, nobody wakes up with Alzheimer's disease. Like, oh, I just developed Alzheimer's overnight. They can actually study this and they see that the decline in the brain's glucose use starts about 20 years, if not more, before you actually get diagnosed. By the time you get, so so the, the glucose decrease is going on and going year after year after year, little declines until it's finally severe and widespread enough that the brain can no longer compensate for that fuel gap. Now you're starting to show signs and symptoms, but by the time that happens, mm. this disease has been going on for 10 or 20 years. It's just finally gotten bad enough that you're showing the symptoms. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah. So, so is there any test that can be done, you know, so I'm, I'm approaching 50 and I'm, you know, certainly worried about this. I think we all are. I think it's um, one poll I saw said it was the scariest disease you know, to most Americans. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, what, what can we do as now, I guess? Yeah, yeah it's um, I have read that it is the most feared disease, even more so than cancer, probably because even though cancer treatment kind of sucks, it does work sometimes. We we have millions of cancer survivors. We have people where the chemo and the radiation and everything works. Right. We don't have any Alzheimer's survivors. Mm. You know what I mean? No one ever survived. So um, yeah. yeah, the tests, it depends on what you mean. There are diagnostic tests, like, like cognition tests. Mm. But in terms of looking for biomarkers or looking at a blood test, yes and no. You know, they... Um, you can actually get a PET scan. The reason they know that the problem is that the brain is not taking up and metabolizing glucose is because this can be measured by PET scan. So I don't know if, if you know, or the people watching with cancer, you know, cancer cells suck up glucose like crazy. So right. they give you, they inject you with this like radioactive glucose to, um, to see where the tumors are and where it's most concentrated, where the glucose is being sucked up into the tissue. They can do the same thing in Alzheimer's, except instead of seeing how much, the, they can see how little is getting into the brain. Mm, okay. So it's the same kind of concept, just the opposite. Um, but that's that's not a standard test to have done. People get that done like when they were in a scientific study or something. Yeah. Um, I I don't know that there's any real like diagnostic test beyond the the cognitive tests. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just curious because it is, it's, it's something that's, that seems like really sneaks up. A, a good friend of mine um, passed away. He got Alzheimer's very early. He was a um, DC police 
policeman. And by the time he was six, I think he retired late fifties. And by the time he was 60, um, I think he passed away at maybe 62, 61, 62. Um, and, uh, it was just heartbreaking to watch. I mean, I, I love the guy. He was a great guy. I, I rode with him on a, a rowing, you know, master's rowing club. And, um, it was just in a, such a short amount of time, um, that he, you know, one year he was having trouble thinking, thinking of words, you know, he'd say it's, it's over on top of the, uh, uh, and the refrigerator is the word that he's looking for. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, um, next thing you know, he can't make a sentence and it's just, it is, it's horrifying to watch, um, and to, to imagine like being in that situation, how frustrating and how, how difficult it must be to go through. So. And I, I want to point out though, cause what you're saying, you know, this is a young guy like mm-hmm. this and this is what's happening we are this used to be an old people disease right yeah. it used to be oh grandpa's getting senile grandma's losing her mind you could almost accept it as normal like if you're 98 years old i'd be surprised if you didn't have a little bit of cognitive mm-hmm. issues you know right. but i mean not everyone does like some people are 102 and they're sharp as attack but you could almost expect a little bit of decline really really late in life but we're talking now about people in their 50s and 60s this has been a bankrupt this country absolutely my dad is like 76 now he's in his 70s this is gonna be a tsunami like we've never seen before of of long-term care needs and um but but why why like why should this be happening in ever younger people what else do we see happening younger and younger Type two diabetes, mm-hmm. insulin resistance, fatty liver. We have toddlers with little tiny baby fatty livers. That's not from alcohol. You know, fatty liver used to be an alcohol-driven thing. Yeah. It's not anymore. And um, you know, type two diabetes used to be called adult onset. It's not anymore because little kids right. get it. So it's right. it's it's totally in it's the in parallel and, yeah. and probably for the same reason. So like I I don't want to harp too much, but I, I try to emphasize with people because it's like, oh, they don't think about it this way. When we talk about things like type two diabetes or cardiovascular disease or high blood pressure, we know that a lot of these are either directly caused by or made worse by diet and lifestyle. They don't just happen out of nowhere. And yet we dismiss even the possibility that Alzheimer's is every bit a diet and lifestyle disease. We just right. don't even consider that as a possibility that like, just like almost every other chronic illness out there that's driven by diet and lifestyle. Yep. Yep. Somehow this just happens to you, right? Yeah. Right. Or now I, I also want to say though, um, my book was, was specifically about this glucose insulin angle. Mm-hmm. But there are other things that definitely contribute to cognitive problems. I just, to me, Alzheimer's is the metabolic fuel shortage in the brain. Right. You can have a, a vitamin B12 deficiency totally separate from any glucose insulin. If you have a B12 deficiency, that could cause cognitive impairment. Um, mm. There's long-term untreated hypothyroidism. There are certain metal toxicities. Like if you're a welder or a carpenter, you might've had toxic exposure to some things. And then the other one, and I'll just say it real quick. I don't, we're not doctors here. Statin drugs Mm. that, um, 
your brain is is a very 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 cholesterol rich organ 25 right. of all the cholesterol in your body is in your brain so if you are taking a drug that deliberately impairs the synthesis of this crucial crucial substance yeah. you might have some memory problems and this is um in the in the like main alzheimer's talk that i've given at conferences and stuff i have this one slide where i quote directly from the fda's website it's not mm -hmm. amy Berger's opinion it's not a, a biased you know low carb zealot thing it's right. from the us fda saying that it is a well-known side effect of statins that are um memory loss confusion cognitive issues wow so wow. And, and how many of our elders and our parents um have been on these drugs for 10 20 30 years mm -hmm. 30, more and more, more of us every year more. yeah yeah wow um well do you have time for a couple of questions yeah sure i see i see some in there you see a couple in here i've got one from leanne robinson main uh my sister full disclosure um <laughs> hey leanne uh she's asking if uh, the low carb being can reverse the symptoms of dementia if it's already begun I'm going to say yes, only because there are some published studies that show this. Mm -hmm. Now, um, it depends, like you say, if it has already begun. So assuming it's in kind of a mild state, yes, there are documented cases where a ketogenic diet does reverse this. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, my mind goes to Mary Newport, who I'm sure you're familiar with and mm -hmm. got her husband on. She was very, very early adop adopter of this kind of thing. Um, pretty much went it alone, but got her husband on MCT oil and um, and coconut oil. Um, and and I, as I recall, he was pretty far gone. But but I mean, a good day was he could he could tie his own shoes, um, and and that was success. And she got a few you know an extra year or two with him. Um, and but but yeah, not not miracle cure by any means. You know, I mean, yeah, he yeah. was he was pretty far gone. But the um. We've all heard the term metabolic syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. That um, there's five criteria. You you don't have to have high blood sugar, like you don't have to have high, uh, you don't have to have diabetes to have metabolic syndrome. But the connection now between metabolic syndrome, which is basically chronically high insulin, that's what it is, metabolic syndrome and and cognitive impairment, is so strong that they have coined the term metabolic cognitive syndrome. You can search for that on PubMed, like maybe not everyone watching knows PubMed, but you probably do. Sure. Metabolic cognitive syndrome. So to Leanne's question, there's a researcher in, I forget if it's Wisconsin or Minnesota, somebody who is taking metabolic syndrome patients who also have mild cognitive impairment and she's putting them on a ketogenic diet. And it's, it's not just keto, though. They're doing like like a intermittent fasting and some exercise. Okay. And they're basically re completely reversing the impairment. And they're, they're documenting it with those cognitive, the diagnostic cognitive tests. Yeah. They go from mild cognitive impairment to a perfect score. Wow. So I, I say now in talks, you fix it when you fix the metal, because keto fixes metabolic syndrome, you fix metabolic syndrome you fix the metabolic cognitive syndrome. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes all, just, all sense watching, watching. This is not a miracle cure. If yeah. your grandfather's 97 and he's really far gone, this is not a magical cure. But if you've got someone in the early stages. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, thank you for saying that. That's that's huge. Thank you. Um, uh, Marilyn asks, what could you discuss the amount of protein that we need compared to fat? 
So this is a great example of one of those questions where I need more context. Okay. For, for who, for what goal? Do we want to lose fat? Are we a hundred pounds overweight? Are we underweight? Uh, what is the goal? Okay. Um, one thing as, as a general piece of advice that I can give, I mean, Marilyn, if you want to like expand in the comments, you can give us more information, but as a general rule, the amount of protein compared to fat, this way of eating again, it doesn't work through magical percentages or ratios. It works by keeping the carbs low. Right. If your carbs are already really low and you're having trouble losing body fat, then you do need to eat less fat. And I would increase the protein. Um, this fear mongering about protein is so weird. Yeah. It's so weird. It's new. It didn't exist when I was new to the Atkins diet. Right. Um, so I just, I wouldn't worry about the, if anything, if anything, most women would benefit from more protein. Okay. So. Yeah, no, that that's good to know. That's good to know. And, and yeah, there's, it, it comes around every once in a while. And I think right now diet doctors doing a thing where they're talking about protein more and, and increasing their, their recommendations and, you know, but, but it seems like, um, protein too much protein is probably not your problem <laughs> if you have yeah, honestly in 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 eight years as a nutritionist not once has that been somebody's issue i've never said to someone you're eating too much protein never but marilyn i will say it it depends on what what is your goal what are you trying to accomplish and where are you starting from True. um yeah great great point um Okay, Powie asks, uh, what is the best way to monitor insulin resistance? Uh, do you like A1C, glucose test, um, glucose tolerance? Uh, I think, you know, I've, I've, I'll throw in just quickly, I've, um, for fun, um, because I have no life, uh, <laughs> decided this month to, uh, to try a CGM. So I'm going to be writing about that on my blog and see what, what came out of it. Um, and just some interesting things, you know, um, that, that my glucose is highest in the morning and then it tapers off throughout the morning and then stays, stays low throughout the day, unless I eat something, you know, Chinese food and it goes berserk or something. Um, but, um, that does that does, let me start with the CGM. Um, am I just throwing my money away? Does that give us any indication of, of whether I have an insulin resistance, do you think? Um, yes and no, because like glucose and insulin are not the same thing. Right. And this is people really have to appreciate that you could have a low normal glucose level and a low normal insulin level and you're healthy and you're metabolically flexible and it's all good. Or you could have a low normal glucose level because you have a really, really high insulin level and that mm. high insulin is keeping the glucose in check. Right. So this is all the people that have metabolic syndrome or PCOS or all this other hypertension, but their blood sugar is totally normal. Their A1C might be totally normal. So um, Paulie is asking about A1C or glucose. I don't think A1C is the best way to measure insulin sensitivity because there are, you could have a 5.1 A1C and I, if there's anyone watching, no, actually they're the same units overseas, right? Cause I was like the millimolar. I'm like, I don't want to. Yeah, I know. I know it's percentage. Anyway, I, 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 I don't know the conversions in my head, but um, so you could have a perfectly normal A1C and have wickedly high insulin. 
So um, I, A1C is still worth doing for sure, but the best way to monitor insulin resistance is looking at your blood work as a whole, probably your triglycerides, maybe the HDL, your waist circumference. Some, if you ask Dr. Ted Naiman, for those of you who know, he'll say the best way to measure insulin resistance is with a tape measure around your waist, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know if I agree with that, but- Probably the cheapest way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the yeah. least invasive. I mean, just, just realize that if you have normal blood sugar, it doesn't mean your insulin is normal. But for most people on a low carb or ketogenic diet, you don't really need to measure the insulin. You don't need to measure all this stuff because it's probably fine. Mm -hmm. If the, the, the times that I recommend some of this more advanced testing and digging a little deeper is for someone that seems to be doing everything right and something is still not getting to where we want it. Like, it's like, what, what's going on? What's wrong? Maybe there is some weird unknown thing. Let's look. Uh, but for the most part, I, I don't, um, it's not usually necessary to do a lot of those advanced testing. But if, if you're, I mean, if your A1C is normal, that doesn't guarantee you have good insulin sensitivity, but if you're happy with your health and your weight, you probably do. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, she also probably also asks, uh, do I have to do keto to do low carb or can low carb be South beach or weight watchers type diets? Um, so that's an interesting one because there are, I think of it as a spectrum almost, but you know, this, but love your take on that one. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. So low carb is not really defined. If, if you're eating less carbohydrate than you were, you're on a lower carb diet. So some people need to be super strict keto to get the greatest benefit. Some mm -hmm. people don't. Mm -hmm. So really the only way to answer that is to know your own situation. Um, what I tend to recommend and what we actually recommend in End Your Carb Confusion is start with the strictest. Do the strictest because you might find little nagging things clearing up that you didn't even know you had until they went away. Like, oh, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. Oh, I don't break out every month anymore, you know. Um, and you get really, really great results with that. And then you gradually increase your carbs and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. then you'll be able to identify your own sweet spot as to how much can I have and still feel great and still, you know, maintain whatever weight I wanted to keep off. Um, but no, de definitely. So, I mean, when I was talking about Mark Sisson and Rob Wolf earlier, they both are very into keto now, but they weren't always, they're much more well-known for paleo and sort of ancestral diets. Yeah. And how many thousands of people did that and that's all they needed. They didn't need keto. They just had to stop eating so much bread and sugar, yeah. you know, but they could still eat fruit. They could still eat an occasional, you know, sweet potato, carrots, things like that. So that's, that's the really long answer to, um, you know, some, some people can do a low carb version of South beach or weight watchers. Uh, some, some people need keto. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that you, you, the people that you've mentioned, the, the Rob Wolf, the Mark Sisson, um, and, and yourself, you know, the common theme of real food. And one thing we haven't touched on that I'd just like to get your take on is some of the, with the popularity of keto, we see the keto products. We see the shakes and the cookies and the this and the that. Um, is there a place for those or um, are they, are they, 
sort of a, a no-no kind of stay away from all those sorts of things it's um it really depends it's an individual call it depends okay. on how somebody's wired because yeah. like i was saying before you know don't don't trade your sugar addiction for an erythritol addiction right you know if you're gonna if you would normally eat the whole sleeve of oreos don't eat the whole sleeve of coconut flour cookies <laughs> so um th there are people who can have one piece or one thing of whatever one sugar-free chocolate you know there's that like lily's chocolate mm -hmm. i can't have one square i want the whole bar yeah and guess what it's low carb it still has calories it still has a, it might be low carb but there are those fillers in it that might affect people differently so um i don't those products i think are great for the people that can just eat them in a normal quantity um they're also great like i was saying as a transition step um i personally think it's best rip that band-aid off don't use those products just cut the carbs just stick to the very strict food list don't mess around with this stuff but if somebody's not ready to do that yeah. these things can be like a little bridge which or I, that's um dr Sivas's term right the bridges yeah. and like so his coffee whatever you know you have to do this in whatever way is going to work mm -hmm. um, and you know if you are someone that does have diabetes or some other you know severe kind of health condition and you absolutely positively have to have a cookie have the keto cookie you're better off having the keto cookie or the you know the keto ice cream than the real thing yeah so um but we just we have to know our limits i guess i would say yeah well that's that makes a lot of sense and, and, and as and always what we don't want probably you and i are on the same page we don't want people building their diet out of that stuff and then saying, oh, I tried keto. It didn't work. Right. You know, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's it. That's it. And that's and that's the long, the, the short term thinking. I think, you know, I'm going to replace my lunch with a keto shake and I'm going to, you know, it, it's you, you kind of have to be in it for the long haul when you're talking about your health. That's that's kind of my my message and that's yeah. what I always go back to. Yeah. I, I have a question for you though, if you don't mind, if you have a second, yeah. yeah. Um, just cause I, I have not read your book yet. My apologies. How, um, I, when I, when I met Dr. Kosoff, I asked him and I was unpleasantly surprised at his answer. I said, how many people with epilepsy respond to keto? And, and he said 50%. And I thought it would be much, much higher. I was surprised to know that 50% of people don't have good results now whatever they're trying to do you would assume being at right. the john hopkins program they have coaches they have people helping them but has i mean has it really made a huge difference for you or what's your situation uh it's it's helped i um and thank you for asking yeah the um the and the numbers depending on which study you look at they will say that 30 percent of people see seizure elimination 30 percent of see, people see seizure reduction and 30% of people are, are seizure free. Um, I am still on medication. Um, I, you know, my, so, so I'm using it as an adjunct ther therapy, right? Um, and I am finding that it helps with my cognition and it helps with my energy and it helps with all the, all the things that we talked about. Um, and knock wood, you know, um, staying, staying seizure free, but, but it's not, uh, exclusively, 
some of the folks that I interview for my book are are real night and day success stories. You know, people like Jillian Zolos, if you know her, mm -hmm. um, Jennifer Seizure Salad on, on oh, yeah. Twitter, you know. Um, so I interviewed some of them and, and people for whom medication just did not work years and years of trying different medications. And then this is this was transformative for them. Um, for me, it's a little bit more holistic. You know, I, I don't um, distrust to a conventional medicine, you know, and, and I'm thankful for uh, the medications. In fact, um, um, in fact, I'm weaning on to a newer medication right now. Um, but if you look at the numbers and my, and my doctor, Dr. Savenka said this, you know, we've got every year, there's a few new, new medications, every couple of years, a new medication hits the market. None of them has been shown to be any more effective than any other for epilepsy. Um, the side effects just get better and better, mm. um, which is good. Uh, and none of them has been shown to be more effective than the diet. Um, wow. So, you know, why not, <laughs> you know, why not throw everything I can at this, you know, yeah. kind of my, my mindset on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I support whatever works. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of key keto is very good for mental health. Some people have had total remissions of bipolar, anxiety, depression. Some people don't, mm -hmm. some people still need keto helps, but it doesn't go all the way. And yeah. there's a, there's a seizure medication. I think they also use it for migraines, the topiramate. They use mm -hmm. that for binge eating. Is That's that right? Really fascinating to me. And I, yeah. I don't really, I, I have to research the mechanism, but have, you've, you've, I'm sure you've heard of Topiramate, right? They, yeah, I have. Yeah. 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 They, it's being used for binge eating. Wow. I hadn't heard yeah. that. That's, that's pretty wild. Yeah. In, in combination with something else, I don't remember what, some other, some other drug that the, the two seem to like do something to that urge. Very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And, and some of the seizure drugs out there started out as, as mood you know, bipolar drugs. And, and oh, by the way, it also helps seizures. Great. So wow. all these little interconnected. Well, isn't that that's how they discovered Viagra? Is right? that right? Was, was, oh, I didn't. Viagra that. was meant. I don't remember if it was a blood pressure drug or it, it was meant for something else. And after it was on the market, men mm -hmm. were reporting to their doctor, you know, dog, I've got this erection for three <laughs> hours. And so then, of course, the, the company was like, oh, how interesting. How can we, what can Somebody we this like, into? Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> that was a surprise for them. That's, that's wild. That is terrific. Well, thank you so much. We're way over time. Thank you so much for giving your time. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful talking to you. Yeah. Um, and folks, if, wait, let me get your website back up here. Folks, if you want to find Amy, she is at toitnutrition.com. You can find information about her books coaching, uh, all kinds of great stuff. Um, you're also to it nutrition on Twitter. Uh, no Instagram. Twitter, Twitter is my main home. And then my, my YouTube channel, the name is to it nutrition. Yes. Uh, lots of great information on the, on the YouTube channel too. So folks go check out Amy Berger, everything she's got going on there. And, um, thank you so much for joining us. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks so much. Good to talk to you. So there you have it, gang. Uh, terrific discussion with Amy Berger. She's awesome. I uh, love everything that she puts down uh, over there at Tuit Nutrition. Check it out. I mean, she's been a huge help for me on my ketogenic journey, just staying keto without going crazy, as she says. Um, 
and uh, um, just a terrific person overall. So uh, check that out. Um, meanwhile, if you enjoyed this podcast, please uh, give us a rating, give us a review, share it, all those good things. Um, we're trying to get this information into the hands of as many people as it might benefit. And um, so anything you can do to help me do that, I would certainly appreciate All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.